so yeah, I don't have anything like planned to talk about, but I was really interested. I mean, Jen was had posted your TED talk that you did, which was great. Um, and then I don't even know. She had actually just been talking about you before that about your brother mm-hmm. and was telling me about um, your involvement in that. And so anyway, and then with your TED talk, I was like, oh, you're a really good speaker, and you know, you seem to have lots of good ideas and. I like sort of the messaging that you had, so I thought we could just talk about some of that stuff, like whatever is interesting to you, um, particularly around death. I think yeah. that's a really important topic right now. Um, I did say that I'm sort of planning this series on death. I've, I've done, you know, a little bit of stuff with my partner, Mike, we just talked about I was listening to it. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it was just a very, like, and I don't know if we totally can get into that sort yeah. of, like, you know, very spiritual, philosophical perspective. Um, and then I also have a friend who is, she's been dealing with cancer um, recently for the last two years. She also had cancer when she was a baby. And mm-hmm. so she's just sort of wants to talk about death as well. And so I just started thinking it's, it, this would be a good series to do because I think it's important conversations. It is. I'm personally, I'm very open about being like afraid of dying. And, uh, but I want to talk about it. Like I think part of the fear is that people don't talk about it. And they don't know, you know, there's no conversation around it. So, yes. so. It's not, definitely it's not a typical dialogue that we have in such a big uh, a transitional part in our lives mm-hmm. uh, in comparison to, say, birth and marriage, right. which are also big transitions in our lives. But and we talk about those. Yeah, more. those are very open, whereas death is something, at least in North America, yeah. well, mainly Canada and U.S., that isn't really spoken about. Yeah. But in many other countries around the world, yeah. um, it's definitely more open. Yeah. So yeah, you're absolutely right. We do need to speak more about it. And I, I don't have too much, like my personal experience has been like this past year and a half that I've explored a lot more on this topic of death. Yeah. And, and having explored like made this exploration, I've definitely seen a lot of interest in talking about death. Right. Uh, but just not openly. Right. So like these like one-on-one conversations, people are like, yeah, I want to talk about this. Right. Uh, but there's no like public forum for it. Not as much. Um, so in the U.S., there's places like death cafes and stuff right. that we're slowly seeing. Yeah, there's one here, I think. Yes, so the Dying Well Collective is a CSI member at the Annex. Oh, I didn't know that. And they host death cafes every month. Uh, their turnouts are small. I've been to uh, a few of them. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. mainly, I noticed that it's mainly like practitioners okay. that go there. So these are like funeral directors, right. uh, palliative care nurses, um, so not so much like the rest of the general right. public uh, would attend, but right. for so me... It's almost like people who are already okay talking about yes. that, and then they just, you know, congregate or whatever. Exactly. Right. So I how was, did you feel being there? So I went there for a very specific purpose, mm-hmm. because my brother, he, he was having, like, busy lives with a physical disability, yeah. and it's a degenerative condition that he has. So last year, we started having a lot of like suicidal thoughts yeah. and things like that, and I didn't know what to do. Right. Like, so I said, hey, maybe I'm gonna just go check out, because the topic of death kept coming up with my brother and I. Right. I was like, okay, I think I need to like go and 
gain some insights from others yeah. about this topic. So I just I just like did a Google search and I was like, oh, Death Cafe. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'll go and see what this is all about. And when I went there, having spoken with the practitioners, yeah. it definitely gave me a lot of insights and it gave me a lot of guidance okay. in how I could explore more uh, about death okay. and also how can I learn more practical skills to help myself and brother and my family. Right. So some advice were like, oh, um, go to Hospice Toronto and go for the training on okay. hospice care. Oh, wow. Uh, so I was like, oh, cool. So yeah. I went and signed up for that. And, and did you do the training? I did oh, go, go wow. through the training and like, learn about like, oh, how do we care for uh, right. others in that sort of stage of life. Um, and then like a palliative care nurse like mm. advised me on, oh, say this to the, because my brother uses different like, care services. Okay. And she like tipped me off on like, ah, oh, talk about this so that you get some additional services. Oh, wow. So just like things like that, that actually right. made, made our family's lives a little better. Yeah. Uh, to be able to talk to people that was able to point me in certain directions. Right. It almost sounds like because we don't talk about death generally, that the conversation then doesn't come up even in very practical scenarios where it should. So like you said, get extra resources mm -hmm. or, or whatever. And if we're sort of avoiding that whole topic, then we might not be getting the support that we need as a family or as an individual who Correct. might be experiencing a near death or, or potential um, suicide or assisted suicide or whatever, right? Oh, yeah. Wow. So you found that all very helpful. Extremely helpful, and the fact that my brother and I we've been having this open dialogue, and it made a lot of family uncomfortable. I bet. Right, knowing that my brother has this condition, uh, we had two uncles with the same condition that passed away in their early twenties. My brother's thirty now, oh, wow. and now it's becoming more real. Yeah. Right, uh, that it is coming. So this like looming idea of, of death is like, yeah. very real now and so having like gone to the death cafes and stuff like that I've been forcing my family to like, speak openly about this yeah so when my brother first brought up about MAID which is the medical assistance of dying yeah it triggered a lot of people in my family right because, did he bring it up to you first yes okay and then it sort of yep. exposed the family to the yeah so he like he would say things like I'm ready to go uh, I want to explore me. Okay. Uh, let me do this now. Like, so there's definitely a lot of moments in his own suffering, yeah. in his frustration, he brought up this topic. And at first, I was like, oh, I don't know how to react to this. Yeah. And, but then as I started like, looking into it and speaking with the palliative care nurses and stuff like that, part of me still reacted in like a very like, ugh. I don't want this to happen. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, I see that, okay, now that my brother has a choice, yeah. whereas a year and a half ago in Canada, people had no choice. Right. Uh, so, like, logically, it, like, makes sense. Yeah. Like, logically, it's like, okay, so my brother has control that he could make the decision to how he wants to pass. Yeah. Instead of waiting and suffering until who knows when yeah because I was the only option before right yeah. so logically it made sense uh, emotionally it still doesn't make sense right to you yeah to yeah. me like the, the, the emotional side of things 
of yeah. like how I would react to to it happening. Yeah. Uh, because even through the hospice training, they had like a ethicist come in to like speak to us and like talk to us about weight because right. there would be some uh, like clients there that may talk about it and may want to go through that process. And right. they showed us like a documentary on because in certain countries. They've been having this practice for oh, yeah, years, right? right? Yeah. Like Sweden, yeah. lost Scandinavian countries, and they showed us uh, uh, like one segment of like one person making that decision and going through with it. And yeah. by like sensation of body, yeah. as I was like watching it happen, I was like, oh, like wow. just like very visceral reaction of like I can't like imagine uh, myself in that shoe of that brother watching their sibling going through it um, yeah like wow. so we've been having a lot of this conversation as a family yeah um, so it definitely like by going through this process it shows me that it is important to talk about this yeah because we've been talking about things like what does my brother want in terms of like medical directives mm -hmm. so we've been like doing that kind of process where a lot of people do like the will, yeah. but not a lot of people do the living will, yeah. right? Where it tells us, okay, if he can't speak anymore, like what do we do as family for him? Like what does he want? Right. Not about what we want. Yeah. Uh, so we had like this difficult conversation about that. Yeah. Um, and then we also talked about like, how does he want to be celebrated? Right. And, uh, what does he want post like, like cremation, like yeah. so, we, we had like all this talk, and yeah. for me, it it helped me because for me, I know that when those things happen, I may not have that capacity of right. giving him that support that he like he wishes, right? So and it becomes an emotional, like a, a sort of a selfish emotional decision yeah. for the those living yeah. or you know not going through it, as opposed to really honoring his wishes. Exactly. Yeah. So by having this conversation earlier when he has the capacity to, uh, makes it easier for all of us. Yeah. And now that I've had this experience, I've now sort of started this conversation with my mom. Yeah. With my mom's partner. About their death. Yeah. Uh, Just like great. saying, hey, like, I want to know what your wishes are. Yeah. Because I want to be able to fill that for you too. Yeah. And just having sort of this dialogue, yeah. as difficult as it is, because my parents, they're, very traditional Chinese, mm. uh, grew up in like a very traditional environment where death is kind of like, oh, we don't talk about this. Yeah. Uh, the more we talk about it, it means the closer we'll come, right. Right? that kind of belief. So right. even like trying to broach this conversation has been, uh, has been kind of difficult, but I'm glad that they're opening up to me right. uh, about this. Uh, and I hope that maybe over the next six months, a year, we would have more of like a plan in place too for them. Yeah. Uh, and with them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about your own plan? Do you ever talk about yours? I mean, I mean, it's not obvious that you're going to die anytime soon. I assume you're healthy and you know you're in a very different situation than your parents and your brother. But like, have you talked about your own thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> so I would say I don't have like specifics. Um, in my reflection of yeah. death. Because I brought this up um, in like regular conversation, yeah. and like doing the things like, oh, do I have any regrets like right. before I die? Like these type of exercises. Yeah. 
I, I feel that if I was to die tomorrow, I don't feel like I have any regrets in my life. Uh, that I've done, I've done everything that that I want to do. Yeah. So if I was to go tomorrow, no regrets. But in terms of like my advanced directives, yeah. like medical directives, I don't have that in place yet. Right. So that is something that like maybe third, <laughs> yeah, your parent, your your mom done your exactly. My mom's partner is done, yeah. and then mine. Yeah. Um, but I do have an idea uh, of like what my advanced medical directives would be. Right. Would be something along the lines of if I was to go into like a state where I can't speak yeah. and if the doctors say that all they can do if they bring me back is I mean I'm only able to breathe and I can't like enjoy eating ice cream and right. like watching like having conversation with people I love then there's no point to resuscitate me. Yeah. So I do have some ideas having thought about this right. and like kind of like listening to what other people have talked about and like their own like wishes and stuff. So to me I have some like yeah. Brief ideas of like what my own advanced medical directors would be. Yeah, which is pretty yeah. amazing because most people, like your age, would not have even begun thinking I about know. that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so wow, that's great. So you mentioned that because like a friend of yours is going through this, mm -hmm. um, and then you spoke with your partner about this. So yeah. this is like the topic of conversation. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned like you have fears around this. Yeah. So what are your greatest fears of, of, of death and dying? You know, I mean, it is so logical and obvious to me <laughs> because it's, um, I mean, I'm, I really, so we do, my partner and I do a lot of yoga and meditation and sure. sort of talk about and study a lot of the Buddhist philosophies and yoga yeah. philosophies. And so I know fully that my fear of death is just like, not wanting to let go of my ego like mm -hmm. it's this like attachment to this world you know when I think about it from a very biological perspective it's like of course I'm like I know I'm gonna die like I know that we all recycle into the earth and like all these things and it's literally just I like my I like my ideas and so when I think about death it's like I think about my ideas being gone mm -hmm. my mind being gone and so like it's very visceral like I definitely am I could feel that fear yeah. but like it's totally illogical <laughs> you know so it's not like pain of dying it's mm -hmm. not like because I know that's a, a big one for a lot of people um, I mean I don't want to leave my child without a mother and that's pretty natural but that's not I wouldn't say that that's the fear like the fear mm -hmm. has just sort of been there it's like there's this essence of who I am and that essence will be gone yeah. because those brain cells will scatter and no longer be together to create me yeah. so I mean, it's, I can see it from a very, like, logical and philosophical perspective, but, yeah, it's still there. But I do think talking about it helps, because it gets me to explore this. And, uh, you know, I've talked about this to other people, and, and they've said, well, you know, what about the idea that you still live on everyone's memory? And I'm like, no, that doesn't help. You know, and it's, I think it's just, like, talking about it. Like, I, I grew up not talking about death, I didn't go to, like I've only been to a couple funerals. Mm -hmm. I fortunately haven't had a, many people die close to me, yeah. but um, definitely when I was growing up, kids didn't go to the funerals, mm -hmm. which I would change with yeah. my own child, first of all. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the few that I've gone, yeah, they didn't necessarily resonate with me, like 
perspective on mm-hmm. you know what happens after doesn't make sense to me so that was always so I think the confusion was part mm-hmm. of me growing up like some people are saying this but I don't know if I believe that's what happened yeah, so yeah, yeah. are they lying like you know when you're a younger person like yeah. a child you don't know what's going on so so lots of misconceptions I think and yeah just generally not talking about it yeah. I think is a big problem for a lot of people and you can see, like, as you start talking about it, like, we've, we've been, my partner and I have been talking about how we need to start discussing those with our parents and figuring out what their plans are and everything. And and even talking about what happens if we die, what happens to our child, yeah. you know? And yeah. um, that, that makes me, that hurts my heart to think about it, but mm-hmm. I think it's an important conversation. So we're, you know, we have a, a plan, but we don't have it written down. Sure. Like, we don't have it legalized or anything okay so but yeah i think like you know even just having i'm really fortunate my, my husband mike and i are very open about stuff so we talk about everything and my friends around me we talk about everything so um, it's more just you know outside conversations yes. where you need you know you can't just like talk to meet someone at the water cooler and say how you doing good i just you know plan my my medical directives you know my or my my funeral or something like that you know people would be like what actually funny you funny you mentioned that did you do that so, so this last year and a half because that's kind of been in my headspace mm-hmm. and when people ask like how, how are you doing like i would just be like yeah i'm thinking about death and dying yeah I, wow. I have no qualms with it. And, That's great. And and the fascinating thing is that people reciprocate. Yeah. Because it's so also true. it's also in their heart. Yeah. Right. Um, so similar to you, similar to you growing up, I never really had exposure to like death and dying really. Yeah. And um, like even within our family, uh, over like ten years ago, I had two family members that died by suicide. Oh wow. And no one talked about it. And it really hurt me because I was like, I didn't, at that age, I had no idea how to process this thing. Right. How old were you? I was maybe like 20. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was like in my, in my 20. Yeah. Yeah. Like eight, 19 or 20. Yeah. And it like back to back happened. And I was like, I don't know how to process this. And no one in our family talked about it. Yeah. And instead they like made stories up. Wow. And I was like, what's going on? Yeah. And from that lesson, I realized when I saw what was happening with my brother, we have to talk about this mm-hmm. because clearly it wasn't healthy that none of right. us talked about this 10 years ago. Um, so this just even a simple of just talking a little bit about it mm-hmm. is like healing yeah. for ourselves as part of the grieving process. You know, it's funny that you just brought that up because I was just, it reminded me of um, in grade eight, <laughs> we had to do like speeches on any topic or whatever. And yeah. I actually did a speech on death. Really? Yeah, and um, I think, yeah, anyway, I think it was, may have been prompted by something that I'll share in a second, but it was, you know, I just got up and talked, and I remember, like, and I, I like public speaking now, but that was probably one of my first times where I got up and, and spoke, yeah. it was like a five minute speech or whatever, yeah. and I basically just talked about the different ways you could die and like all this stuff, and there was like just blank stares. I, I'm actually even surprised that my teacher did, she didn't even talk to me about it. Like, there was no, I'm sure it was like, oh yeah, good job. But, you know, at great day, you'd think that the teacher might say, why are you talking about this? Why are you thinking about this? Like, give me, even if it, like as a safety, maybe I was thinking about dying 
or just like is someone dying in your family like no support at all no discussion about it so that's interesting and weird in one sense but it also reminded me of um, in one year I had I knew four people who had died by suicide and um, two of them were parents they're all parents actually but they were um, one our next door neighbors both the mother and the father had died by suicide the the second, the mother, second parent who died, died in her pool. She drowned herself, and we saw her body mm-hmm. come out. And then um, two other friends that I played uh, ring out with their their um, parents. One of their parents had died by suicide. But I don't remember any conversation about it. So I I can't remember if I did this like this little speech before or after that. Okay. That's um, almost. Probably was after, but because okay. uh, it must have been provoked by something. But I don't remember it being negative. But I remember no one talking about it. So just like you, it's like this just happened, and like you know, because that's also pretty traumatic to think that someone took their own life, yes. and then there's no conversation about it. Exactly. You know, because you hear about car accidents, and you feel like, oh, that's so sad. And, yeah. But it's like when it's suicide, people just like stop talking. Yeah. All together. Yeah. Because there's just definitely like a big taboo around yeah. it. And like, I remember listening to what you and your partner was talking about and how like, oh, there's a lot of like religious influence yeah. and stuff like that and hence no one talks about it. Um, but I know organizations like the Canadian Mental Health Association, mm-hmm. they have uh, different programs mm-hmm. that facilitates this kind of talk and also training. Right. So for example, Safe Talk is yeah. like a, a talk around yeah let's even like be able to practice saying the word yeah. suicide yeah because uh, some people are so afraid to even like say that word right so safe talk gives that space to like oh okay let's just even say the word and like talk about what our own perception of that is yeah uh, and then they also have uh, a program called assist mm-hmm. which then gives us a practical skill set to like help others that may have suicidal thoughts. Right. Uh, and then there's also the Mental Health First Aid program, which is a great complimentary yeah. uh, program to like standard first aid CPR. Yeah. Just like gives us the tools and skill set to even know how to start this conversation yeah. about suicide with someone. Mm-hmm. And I think once we break that like uh, barrier of like thinking that oh like suicide isn't something that we should be talking about could help a lot more people. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people that, I think they gave us like stats, don't quote me on this, mm-hmm. but they said like, in Canada, based on their like research and study, maybe like over a million people in Canada has suicidal thoughts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the actual amount of people that actually, uh, actually take action right. is actually very little, mm-hmm. right? So maybe it's like a 1% or maybe even, even a point five yeah. percent of that million will actually take action. Right. So it means that there's a lot of opportunity for us to have conversations, yeah, with people openly yeah. about like, oh, let's talk about your suicidal thoughts. Right. Um, because a lot of times it's, it is really frustration of something yeah. that maybe no one's listening. All right. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, and that reminds me of when I first started undergrad. Because my degrees are in psychology, so when I first started, I was interested in doing clinical psychology, mm-hmm. and uh, so I did. I became a phone like crisis counselor, oh, okay. and so we did training, and yep. 
you know, one of the things I remember about that was not being afraid to ask someone if they are considering suicide yep. and if they have a plan and all that. And, yep. and so to me now, it's just like common knowledge that you can ask someone and it doesn't yes. mean it's going to give them an idea. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> but, but not everyone knows that, yes. right? Because they don't necessarily have the training. So, so all of those other trainings, like the, I mean, especially the mental health first aid, I think is really important for a lot of reasons, but for that in particular. Yes. Um, I have a question about when you were talking, like, start talking with your brother about yep. this. So you said that, like, you sort of resisted it at first, and you know, obviously, for you know, obvious reasons, we probably all would. But um, did you share that with him? Like, did you say I felt uncomfortable with this, or how did you navigate those early conversations, which obviously led to you know a good deeper conversation about this? But do you remember how that went? Yeah. So at first, when he started having thoughts on suicide, my initial reaction was, no, I'm not supporting this. Right. And especially By that, you mean like, I'm not supporting this conversation, like I don't want to go this way? Um, or just about assistance? Yeah, just okay. so around like made, right. okay. um, mainly. When he was having suicidal thoughts, it, it triggered me to like go do all these like training programs on suicide prevention and oh, went out to talk to people about it. So that was my initial reaction. But then when he said made, at first I was like, okay, I know of the concept. I don't know too much about it. And it really wasn't until we had like a palliative care nurse come and like chat with us about it that I was like, okay, I understand. But I told my brother that I support his decision, but I won't um, like take action for him. Okay. Um, so I said that if you want to go through with it, yeah. I will be by your bedside right. in that moment, but I'm not going to go through that process for you. So uh, I kind and of is that like, still where you are? Yes. Okay. Yep. So what does that mean you won't go through that process? Because, for example, the process of made requires the signing of an application with witnesses. Okay. Submit, submit it to be it the palliative care nurse or doctor. Right. Then they would send two medical practitioners uh, okay. to come evaluate the individual. Right. And then once they both approve on their own sort of like analysis, then, then it begins. So then the person has about seven days right. before it takes place. Wow, that's pretty quick, eh? Yeah, so it could happen within two weeks' time. Wow. That's how quick that process would, would, would uh, ensure. And then, and then they would ask him on a daily basis, are you sure, are you sure, are you sure? Even up to the final day, they will ask the person, are you sure? And he has his right to say no, right. even on that final day. Right. Uh, so for me, my line that I'm drawing is, I'll be here. I'll be by his bedside yeah. on that day if he yeah. actually goes through with it. But I'm not going to go like facilitate that process for him. Like I don't feel comfortable doing that. Right. Um, and was he okay with that? He was kind of upset. Yeah. Because uh, he's like, "You're my brother. Yeah. You're doing everything for me. Why? Why?" He didn't say that out loud, but I could see it in his like reaction. Right. Like, why? Why don't you do this for me? And it was tough for me because I told my friends, I was like, I just can't do that. Yeah, I just don't feel, it doesn't feel right doing it. Yeah. Even though logically I know that it will help him. Right. Uh, but like emotionally, I just didn't want to like be the person that like helps right. him instigate this process. Yeah. Uh, so. You want to be like a catalyst. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 
So even though on his birthday, like he, his birthday was in May, yeah. he's like, oh, Terrence, I want to sign this application. So I was like, I was like okay, if you tell your witnesses to come, uh, the only thing I'll do for you is I'll fill the application out as long as you're instructing me to do it. Okay. That's as far as I'll, I'll go. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I can understand that because it's like, it's almost like you don't want to take responsibility yeah. for the death. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of the, that's, yeah, that's the line I drew and that's kind of yeah. where I stand with it. I spoke with friends. So uh, I had a friend whose sister has gone through that process and Oh, wow. you know, having spoken with other people that have gone through the main process, you know, like as I listen to them, uh, they, they say, yeah, like at the end of the day, it was a great thing for that person. Right. Of course, that grieving process for my friends and their family is equally as difficult as yeah. like any family member that goes. Uh, I think the, the difference in their experience is that I knew the time, yeah. exact moment of when it happened. And that's kind of like the like shocking part of it. Yeah. Um, and even listening to other nurses that have like cared for people that have gone through the main process, even though like, it's still stuck in their mind that it's like, oh, I know the day and time right. of when that will happen. Right. And, and that's something very different. Or, or whatever. Or, yeah. or that they, they knew they couldn't do anything else. Right. Yeah. But it's just kind of like stuck in their mind now that oh, on this day and time, this yeah. person passed. Whereas, I guess like traditionally, we don't. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of like a shift in even like our mindset and like mm -hmm. how we accept like that. Yeah. Because it's like a different way of dying in a sense. It yeah. is, but yeah. you know, it's also reminding me of... So I was with my grandmother when she passed away mm -hmm. and she had had... Um, I mean, she had been in the hospital for about a year with cancer, and then, um, and then she ended up. I can't remember the circumstances, but she ended up back in the hospital, and um, and I was in Halifax, and so I flew back to Winnipeg, which is where I'm from. Yep. And I got there, and she was unconscious, and so she never regained consciousness again. And I got there, um, and then it was about 24 hours where we were in the room with her, and she was on a ventilator, mm -hmm. and the doctors had said like she's not gonna wake up like this is you know this is it yep. and so we had to make the choice of whether to take her off the ventilator or not mm -hmm. and that was also really difficult so I was with my dad and my my grandfather so the three of us yep. were there with her um, but it kind of felt very similar to that moment where it's like we knew I mean we didn't know exactly because it takes some time yes. after but they took the ventilator off and it, but it was probably within a half an hour that mm. she she stopped breathing on her own completely and passed away. Yep. Um, but there was this like sense of responsibility that when we had to make this decision yep. and then and then watch them do it and then say, okay, we're we're basically just watching her die now. So my, part of my point of sharing that is that we kind of think of death as being like you know either someone else or some other thing is controlling it or now this medically assisted version of it. But there's this whole like variation of it like it's a gray area and um, I think a lot of people who are really against the the maid um, don't really recognize or don't like fully appreciate all these like points in between where we're really intervening yes. in this <laughs> exactly yeah because that's even when um, like listening to the ethicists like speak about like oh, maid and the traditional way of dying 
he says, in the end, it's actually very much the same. Like, like you said, in the end, someone's still making the call to pull yeah. a plug on something, right? Be it the ventilator or the feeding or, yeah. right? But it may mean that it's prolonging the suffering, the suffering for that yeah. person, right? Especially if they can't even make their own decision at that point in time, right? Yeah. right? So you're right. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's it's part of part of that spectrum. Yeah. yeah, it's like if we've already you know adopted this you know Western medical version of of healthcare, then that's just one piece of it. Yes. Or we just leave every everyone to their own devices, and then that's it, right? Like <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, that's been the case for a long time, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Like you guys figure it out how you want to die. Right. Yeah. And it's either in the hospital or in the home. Right. That's been right. the only option. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, probably even less so in the home before, because people didn't even know that option really existed. Like, yeah. how do I, uh, like, live the rest of my life and like, part, like, end of life process at home? Not yeah. many people even knew that existed. Yeah. Right? right. Because there are lots of hospice programs that will come in home to ensure comfort until end of life. Right? So people don't know, most people think that, oh, I have to die, I have to go into the hospital, and yeah. I think it's also this, like, connection with dying in hospital that yeah. people don't like to talk about dying, whereas actually there's so many options out there right. in terms of how we can die. Yeah. yeah, right? There's, like, hospice centers that are extremely beautiful, right? And it's very comforting to be in a space where dying is kind of, like, part of that process and is, like, celebrated. Yeah. Or doing that at home with a similar manner, right? So, not many people know about this. Yeah. Uh, Are you, have you ever come across the term death doula? Yes. So, just as you're talking about that, I mean, I think, like, the idea of a death doula, like someone who supports a family and yes. an individual through the dying process, is, sort of comes from, I think, like, a birth doula yes. came first. Correct. And, which I've been trained as a birth doula, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I, when I was doing that, it's like I didn't realize all the different variations of how you can give birth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it's the same thing. It's the exactly same. like just even in terms of a, of the the practicality of it. Like yes. there's all these options. Yes. And then just this idea of supporting someone through birth versus through death. Like Correct. it's the same transitionary things. And you know, you brought this up at the beginning. We talk about birth, but we don't talk about death. And yeah. a lot of birth doulas are also death doulas because they see them as just like two different transitions. Exactly. Yeah, it's beautiful what death doulas do. And I think there's probably like a greater education about death doulas in the US yeah. than in Canada, yeah. but it's slowly growing uh, as our aging population starts needing that kind of service. We're definitely seeing like that kind of demand uh, increase. Mm -hmm. And even like speaking with like all the agencies that come into our home to talk about it, I know that a lot of these like, home health, like home home care agencies, are ramping up their palliative care type services in home. Right, that's great. Knowing that one, the government wants to like shift their services to in home services yeah. uh, to like save money in the hospital. Yeah. It could get real expensive. So same as births. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so they're ramping up their resources to provide more in-home, end-of-life care. Even a lot more like um, long-term care centers are now building hospice wings and like, right? Yeah. So we're definitely seeing a lot more of that demand and resources now increasing. 
That's great. Knowing that there's many options for us when we get to that stage in our life. Mm -hmm. yeah. Can you ever imagine yourself being a death doula? You know what? I've been considering that. Yeah. Yeah. Like having gone through this experience and last year my grandfather uh, passed away and sort of being by him at his end of life and going through that process with him has mm -hmm. been like a opening for myself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have considered and hence I went to do the hospice training yeah. with Hospice Toronto just to like learn about like how do I be for others yeah. in, in, in this like time of transition. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a, I feel like it would be an easier way to, yeah, I mean, just like having someone walk you through the conversation, never mind the resources and all that, but just like help navigate this system that's been um, not accessible to us or this like way of thinking or I don't even know what to call it, but yeah, I think that's really important. It's interesting. I'm, I'm so curious about like, conversations that you have at the water cooler type idea like have you like what are some themes do you know any themes of like what people sort of come back to you with when you say yeah I'm thinking about death and dying right now part of it I start off with just like what I'm going through mm -hmm. like even like uh, speaking about oh my brother's thinking about maid and then all of a sudden like that's when I hear about my friends having gone through I didn't even know yeah and so I brought it up and they're like oh Like, like it's kind of like kind of like that where I'm just sharing personally yeah. about what I'm experiencing and then they would like reciprocate back and say oh like I could that resonates with me yeah. that relates with me because I've gone through something similar well and even just when you said um, you know my friend had gone through this I would, and you said that twice I think yeah. and I was like I can't believe you've had friends and I'm thinking I don't know anyone who's done this but I probably haven't brought it up whereas when I bring up things like depression or anti-anxiety medication or whatever else like yeah. things that are often not talked about people come back like oh yeah me too me too me too right so it's just another conversation that people are having personally without sharing it unless yeah. the door is opened exactly wow and we could be that door because we're already thinking about it yeah so we just have to break that ice and say this is yeah. what i'm going through and what i'm like thinking about in my space yeah I'm opening this door to you too. Yeah. Let's talk about this. I know. Yeah. Well, you've inspired me to, uh, when someone says, how are you doing? To, to say, oh, I just had a conversation about death and dying. <laughs> and it was great. <laughs> and yeah. see what, you know. See what happens. Yeah. 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 And one, uh, I would say what inspired me to, to do this is actually, so I uh, went to Nepal two years ago. Yeah. And because Nepal is like a mountainous region, not many people are buried there. Mm. So most of their like funeral processions is actually cremation. Okay. And one thing that I didn't know was that things were done publicly. Mm. So if my friend took me, he's like, Oh Terrence, you wanna go check out like public cremation? I'm like, Okay, sure. Uh -huh. So uh, this was in Kathmandu, uh, and there's like a river in the middle of the city, and then like on one side there's like the temples. And the other side, they're just public parks. And so he took me, he's like, oh, this is it. And we walked around and I said, oh, can we just sit here and watch? And he's like, yeah. So we like ended up sitting there for like two hours and just like watching wow. the processions. And what really like got to me was I'd like watch the family take their loved one that's mm -hmm. only wrapped in cloth mm -hmm. to the river, bless 
their loved one, and then they took uh, the, their loved one to cremate publicly too. And so we sat there and watched like, a few of these, and then I like, started talking with my friend, and he was sharing his story with me, like about his first time when he was young, like visiting it. He Is said, he from there? He's from there, okay. so he's local. Yeah. So he's like, oh, the first time I went there, it like changed the trajectory of his life. Because he's like, all he thought about before was making money, making money. And then when he watched all these processions, he's like, oh, I take nothing with me. At right. death. And the only thing that I take is the people who love me that are there in that yeah. moment. And so we were just like publicly talking about this. And I was like blown away that, wow. So people can like see this very natural transition in our lives and could really impact us in like, like very powerful ways to like who we are we being in our life. Yeah. If at the end of our life, this is what happens. Yeah. Um, and even yesterday, I met up with uh, my mentor who runs one of the largest geriatric care centers in Canada. And he kind of told me the same thing, like, because he's turning 70 next month, and he's like, yeah, Terrence, like, yeah. that's how I'm looking at life, too, where am I doing something beyond myself? Um, mm -hmm. Because it's the people that I impact that will matter most at my death. Yeah. Um, so just, like, things like that. And to be, like, to be able to see that openly was kind of, like, shocking to me, because, like, like yourself, like, I've never witnessed death in that way and to be openly talk about it sitting with my friend at a park watching this and also chatting about it was kind of like shifting for me uh, and hence coming back I'll just be like talking about it with people afterwards yeah. I was like okay this is necessary like, right. we have to do this so your interest in this was it because of your brother like knowing that he was going to die young mm. or yeah. Was, yeah I would say that was like a big influence because, because he was, not, not because he was dying young, but because this process is now starting for him. Okay. But even the process had already started when you Yeah, exactly. Okay. And also knowing that my grandfather, uh, at the age of like 90, 94, he was going through that process. So for me, that was kind of on my mind. Yeah. Um, and so when I went to Nepal and came back, it just made it that much easier for me to like talk about it mm -hmm. with my family, about it. Um, so that's where it came from, just knowing that I had two people that I really loved and cared that right. were like going to start this process. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a nice way of calling it a process, too. Um, I think, I, well, I want to say something about like, when, when my grandfather was dying. My, I was very close with both my grandmother and my grandfather, yeah. and I wasn't with him when he died, but I um, came back frequently to visit in Winnipeg when he, we knew that he was dying, and he was also 93, um, and I remember one time I was in, so he'd been moved to a hospital, and I was there with my brother, and I was in the room, and I said to my, to my, my Gigi, we call them, I said, are you afraid of dying? Mm -hmm. My brother got up, went white as a ghost, and left the room, <laughs> and I stayed, because I wanted to know the answer, and I had opened this box, I wasn't going to walk away, and I was like, my brother can deal with himself, and I'll go deal with him after. And then we had this great conversation about, he's like, no, why would I, what do I got to be afraid of? I've had, I've had a great life. And, you know, and he just said, like, he was so ready to go. Mm. And, and it was so obvious. Like, he, when, it was almost like when he decided he was going, he went downhill. Yes. And then he died, you know, within, 
like probably four months of like moving out of his, well, it was like two months of moving out of his house. So he yeah. lived in his house until yeah. the very end. Yeah. And it just went downhill. Yeah. And then I went, so we had our conversation and then I went and talked to my brother after and he's like, why'd you do that? Mm-hmm. And I, and he couldn't, he was like crying. He couldn't handle it yeah. that I had even asked that question and it made him sick to his mm-hmm. stomach. And I'm like, I need to know, like, I need to ask these questions. This is my nature, is to ask these questions. And if I want to know about death, I got to ask the people who are right there at its doorsteps, right? And I just, you know, I guess it's part of this conversation thing. But also, like, the process, like, you know, talking, you know, I was with my grandparents when they bought their, their um, plot at the cemetery when they were planning their wills. You know, I don't know where the other parts of my family were, but I happened to be there. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I was more part of the process with them yeah. and it prepped me. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's like what we do, exactly. we die. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It, it's very courageous of you to ask that question, especially if, if uh, your family don't, don't normally talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and clearly it opened a lot of yeah. possibilities for your own growth and I'm sure even for your grandfather too. Yeah. Just be able to like talk openly about it. Yeah, it's true. Because I think at that point in time, they want to talk about it. Yeah. And if we're afraid to talk about it, it actually hurts them more. Yeah. Right? That's because true. if they're in that state, they're ready to talk about yeah. it. Well, yeah, and actually that was part of my motivation was like, like me knowing was sort of secondary, but like, is he afraid? Because if he's afraid, what can I do? Like, what? how can yeah. I help? Sure. You know, I mean, I... I talked to my grandmother a lot about her dying with cancer yeah. and when no one else would, you know, and that was more around like the negative emotions. Like she wasn't very positive okay. and, um, and other people were like, you got to stay strong. You got to be positive. And that, this actually probably something relates to your situation. So I'll let you. Yeah. And yeah. I was open with like, yeah, if you're feeling shitty about this, let's talk about it. Yeah. So I, I definitely feel strongly about that where, uh, yeah, we gotta just let the individual tell us what it is. And I had to learn that myself too. Because at the beginning, I was kind of in that camp, like, stay strong, rah, yeah, rah, Don't rah. talk about death, yeah. you wanna be hopeful. <clears throat> yeah, like, get better, blah, blah, blah. But then in the moments where, actually, this person is not gonna get better. Yeah. And the only reason why we're saying those things is to make ourselves feel better. No. That's actually not serving the individual. So I had to learn it. Uh, myself, mm-hmm. and then as I observe like friends and family come visit my brother, <clears throat> and I kind of watch their interaction, I was yeah. like, okay, like I could see the fears in in them because yeah. they're clearly projecting onto onto my brother. Yeah. Um, but that's also partly because we're not openly talking about this. I know. Right. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> and this this comes up with, for me um, with my Dawn, who I talk on the podcast. She suffers from depression, mm-hmm. and um, we've had two episodes. And on, even on the second one, like she was, you know, in a really um, low state. She just stopped working again, yep. and and I said to her in the conversation, like I feel the need to wanna like to to give you like hope and like get you feeling better. And I and I knew that that's not what I'm supposed to do, but I talked to her about it because I'm like I know other people feel this. Like we want to. We want other people to feel good. We want other people to yeah. be hopeful. So it's so hard to hold back our own sure. uh, projections mm-hmm. onto the situation. And I can see that coming up with my friend who has cancer as well. You know, you know, she'll text me something and I'll say, 
oh, that's good. Like, this is good. And then when it's bad, it's like, I have to just say, oh, that's shitty. Mm -hmm. As opposed to like, well, maybe this, Mm -hmm. maybe that. You know, it's like, no, this is just shitty. You are feeling so nauseous right now. That's shitty. Yeah. So it's hard. It's all this, like the dark side that we don't want to talk about. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, Because it's painful to touch it. I know. It is very painful to touch it. And I definitely feel that, at least from my experience so far, it's um, by me like touching that piece of the pain and like experiencing those emotions that come up. To me, it's partially like my grieving process and my healing process too. Because I know that from my experience like over 10 years ago with the death by suicide, mm-hmm. I didn't know how to process it, so I never grieved. Whereas now, as we're openly talking about it and I'm touching these like really painful, dark spaces, I'm actually grieving already. Mm-hmm. I've been grieving the past year for my brother. Right. Right? Yeah. When my grandfather passed, I had this healthy dose of grieving a couple months after he, he passed. <coughs> and for me, for us to grieve, I feel that we do have to touch yeah. that like dark and like painful place. But a lot of people avoid it because it is painful. Yeah. Um, and we don't give space or time for this. Yeah. Because it's like, what's the next thing we need to do? And we can distract ourselves so easily yeah, yeah. with whatever else is out there. Exactly. And I think in North America, it's so easy to get distracted. I know in certain like cultures and religion, they do have like, a practice of yeah. providing space to grieve, which is great. Um, there's good and bad to that, but at least they have a structure of yeah. This is the grieving process, right? Which is which is nice to have. It is. Is that I'm reminded of a friend of mine who about I don't know whatever several years ago his mother died of Alzheimer's yeah. and she had early onset Alzheimer's. So she they had been dealing with her Alzheimer's for probably about ten years and then it got really bad at the end. Yeah. And then and then she died and that was one of the funerals that I did go to mm-hmm. and he took time off work they said take as much time as you need and then he was kind of like i don't know like how much time do i need like so he didn't go the next two days to work but he's like i don't i don't know like you know so when you don't have like that sort of standard process then you're like i don't know and and from what i saw he was grieving long before she died because she didn't even know who he was anymore Mm -hmm. and so he lost his mom before she actually died and probably didn't need as much time after the actual death point um, so he probably felt ready to go back to work and was you know probably feeling a bit of relief that she was out of her suffering mm-hmm. and so that made it confusing for him but but still the fact that he was even asking like i don't know they say take as much time as you need what do i need yeah. you know well there there really isn't like specific time and process for grieving right and all of us will experience it very differently mm-hmm. right it could be a year it could be five years yeah it could be three weeks so i think we just need to acknowledge that uh, one to allow ourselves to grieve because a lot of people seem to like distract ourselves instead of grieving yeah right and then two is just allow ourselves to to grieve whenever that happens yeah Um, Yeah. and i guess it like comes up in you know like my grandmother passed away I guess almost 20 years ago, um, and I grieved, you know, a good chunk of time after and before. Yeah. 
but then it still comes up like when I'm like trying to make something and, and she would she was sort of like the person who I would talk about recipes and stuff mm -hmm. and so I was like oh I wish I could just call my grandma right now and ask her you know and so then I can kind of feel it inside and I think that's still a little element it's missing but it's like grieving too yeah that you know? is that is so chill it's yeah. it's kind of like timeless in a sense that's yeah. actually just a part of us and it never leaves us yeah but then the, I guess the, the strength of that grieving will just vary over time. Yeah. Right? But it will always be part of us. And to, for us to acknowledge it would be like the first step, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel good. It hurts now. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can I ask you what you do outside of like thinking about death and dying? Because I don't know anything else. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, do you, like... Do you, like, do you work? Like, do you, you know, do you have a job or like, so, are you in school? <laughs> at this moment, um, most of my time is spent on caregiving. Is it? Okay. Yes. Wow. So I left corporate last year. You did? Eh? Yep. And I think the timing was kind of right. I didn't plan it. Wow. Right. Because I was actually transitioning because I wanted to explore other opportunities. Interesting. And after I left, that's when my grandfather, uh, like, started deteriorating quickly. And then, so I was able to spend a lot of time with him near that end of life piece. And then, and then I had the grieving space. So I actually traveled, drove across Canada to grieve. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I got to like spend time with my, my grandpa's sister at West. And I was able to scatter his ashes out east because that was my grandmother's wishes. Oh, wow. To get Are her. they from out east? No, they're not. Oh. <laughs> but her, her final wish was, I want to sail the four oceans. Yeah. And because my grandfather never sort of gave his wishes, right. uh, my uncle said, well, let's take him to the same voyage that uh, our grandmother went. So I ended up going out east to scatter the ashes uh, nearby Halifax, actually. Wow. Um, so I had like, this like, six, seven week grieving process, just like driving by myself, reflecting, uh, seeing our country, and then like listening to the stories of our family, and then like scattering the ashes. So, and then when I came back, and then my brother's health started like, declining really yeah. quickly. And so to me, I was like, okay, like, it means this is what I need to do at this moment. Yeah. yeah. So I would say the majority of my time is right now spent caregiving. Wow. Um, and then I do spend some time doing some consulting work. Yeah. Uh, so my background is in business and technology. Okay. Uh, an area of interest of mine is around aging and people with disabilities. So yeah. Some of these startups and not-for-profits I'm consulting with is kind of in that space right now. Nice. So I'm trying to take my corporate yeah. skills and now I'm transitioning it into uh, organizations and companies that are doing meaningful work that aligns with my values. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, I find that so interesting. I think the universe kind of, I say universe, like works in these ways that just like everything kind of aligns and it seems like it's so obvious to me that this is your new path like it all worked out and like whether it's specifically like death doula or or tech and like stuff you know whatever related to aging and yep. it's just so it's so obvious this is your new path like so you've been doing like training basically yep. um and you've been in like school <laughs> for the last like year or two years then that's amazing yeah, yeah. 
Are you excited about like your future in this area? Like, I'm, this very, field? I'm very excited. Yeah. Because yeah. I know the need is there. Mm-hmm. Like having now firsthand experienced it, and then now talking to people that are in the space yeah. and kind of like seeing it unfold. To me, I'm extremely excited by yeah. uh, sort of what I'm going to be able to learn from it, but then also what I'm going to be able to contribute yeah. uh, to the people as well. I can just see you like soaring in this. Like you have such a wonderful energy and like just such a like gentle, enthusiastic energy, which is a interesting combination. Like the like the hug at the beginning when we met was like amazing. And this big <laughs> smile and like that's not I didn't I don't know, I didn't expect all of this energy around you and it was so beautiful. And then the gentleness and compassion that you combine with that is just like so perfectly suited for this area. So I'm, I hope to, well I will because we're connected on Facebook, but I want to keep watching you go through this. This is going to be amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate you reaching out to me. Because uh, yeah, this is definitely a topic that yeah. Yeah, is close to me and I'm glad, uh, yeah, I'm glad yeah. we got to talk about this. I know. It's yeah. great and I look forward to sharing some of the resources like you've mentioned a lot of really practical things as well so i think that'll be important and yeah we'll see if anyone out there is listening (laughs) i'm sure they will be